don't downgrade your dreams just to fit your reality. Upgrade your conviction to match your destiny. Welcome to Trina Talk. Trina Talk is a weekly podcast that will inspire and empower women of all ages to strive for the impossible. Your host, Trina L. Martin from TrinaMartin.com is a motivational speaker, leader, and cybertech expert. Every week, Trina will share wisdom gained from her life experiences and lessons learned while pursuing her goals to inspire you to achieve the next level in your life. Now, your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello, welcome to Trina Talk. I am your host, Trina L. Martin, and this is episode 20. This week's topic is the women behind the scenes of your favorite TV shows. My guest this week is Cynthia Bemis Abrams. Cynthia is an adjunct professor, a consultant in leadership, and she is also the host of the podcast Advanced TV Her Story. Cynthia's podcast tells about the leadership, persistence, and achievement of women in television. The interview with Cynthia was fun, but it was very informative. So sit back and enjoy the interview with Cynthia Bemis Abrams. Hello, Cynthia, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Trina. Well, thank you. So I have been researching you, and you have like this podcast that I had never dreamed of, but just the concept of it is brilliant. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, thank you. It uh, it came to me at a time when my kids were getting out of college and I had some extra time on my hands. And I got to thinking about how it is that as an adjunct professor in leadership, I kept grasping for examples of how women uh, women my age saw themselves on TV. And I was trying to explain this to millennials and they just were having a difficult time. And so I'd pull up things on YouTube and I'd explain about how how clothing was different back then. You just There just wasn't that much clothing to buy, et cetera. And then uh, my son said, hey mom, you know what? There's some really great leadership themes in Battlestar Galactica. And so I was thinking about that and I watched Battlestar Galactica. Next thing you know, my, my daughter has me listen to a podcast, which was sort of similar and it had more to do with um, classic Hollywood, but it got into an in-depth audio storytelling of the backstory of really important, you know, it, it helps us better understand the, the cultural power of, for her, Hollywood. But for me, it was TV. It's always been about TV because TV is special and we don't give it the credit that it deserves for the power that it holds over us. Yes. I used to watch a lot of TV as a (laughs) child growing up. I don't watch so much now because I'm busy, Mm -hmm. but I used to watch so much TV and I never thought of it as women in leadership. And it, I mean, I'm a child of the 70s. So you saw a few women on TV and then you saw even less women of color. Mm-hmm. So I, I just I never put it together. And since what I'm trying to do with my podcast is empower women and and do the leadership think this is really I'm I'm really interested in how you just taken this and made it this whole big thing as far as the behind the scenes. I'm just I'm. So just tell me all about it. <laughs> well, it, it didn't start out quite as sophisticated. It started out where I just really wanted to profile the characters and remember the great series like Nancy Drew. And not long in, I realized that the one thing I needed to do was get out of my my framework of white women, because you're right. There were certainly white women, the bionic woman, Maud you know, Mary Tyler Moore, and it just kept being white woman, white woman, white woman. And so I I had to look at it again. And then I started thinking about representation. And that is really articulated well by the organization run by Gina Davis, the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media, um, which is out of Mount St. Mary University in California. And they they are accessed off of cjane.org. And really what they do is they go in a very deep, statistics-based 
approach to understanding just how underrepresented women are in dialogue, in roles, in the amount of time on screen, in TV and film. And then, and then they also break it down by women of color and men of color and LGBTQ and all of that, working with other, um, other institutions of higher learning who are studying this because the power is exponential. And what I came to realize in those early days was that, what I, I think probably you might say, well, I do remember the bionic woman. And even though she was white, maybe I could at least relate to her because she was a woman. We were grasping at straws. We didn't really care what, whether they were even smart. Charlie's Angels had, had a role in what women thought that they could all of a sudden do because at least they had agency. And men have a real hard time understanding that. And so when you start peeling back the layers of how it is that even Charlie's Angels made it to TV, that in and of itself was a lot of men and somebody like Kate Jackson saying, well, you've got an okay idea, but it really needs to be better. It needs to be better. And lo and behold, even as, even as under-optimized, <laughs> I'm being kind here, <laughs> as Charlie's Angels is, it, they were still kind of proud that it was better than what it was originally supposed to be. And so a lot of TV from the 70s and 80s, when you think of women, the women characters were stupid. They were never the lead characters. And if they were the lead character, they didn't get the best writers. And so the, the show was short-lived. So there's a lot to understand and how it is then that every successful show was sort of the foundation for the next successful show that featured women. That is interesting because... I'm listening, and as you're naming these shows, I'm going, yeah, I watched Charlie's Angels. I watched <laughs> Wonder Woman with Linda Carter. Mm. She was That was like one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. And what I want to know is just how did you get started on this path? I mean, is I'm pretty sure this is not something that you just dreamed of. Oh, one day I'm going to have a podcast <laughs> about this. So how did this come to be? <laughs> I, I had always, I was the one who would, when I got my allowance, when I just finished babysitting, would go down to the drugstore and buy the Rona Barrett movie magazine. This was gossip. It was, you know, it was what I liked. I liked to think about Hollywood. I liked to think about TV, but living in the Midwest, growing up in Minnesota, I was never going to have that kind of a career. I ended up with a career in public relations and marketing which gave me just enough knowledge to know how to assemble an audio show. So I kind of just decided I could do that. And, but, the, but the subject matter has always been really near and dear to my heart and has only made me more of a feminist. And in 2019, I would say much more of a, an impatient feminist. This really needs to be understood. And so I am no longer just having having fun doing a profile of Betty White, who indeed was quite a feminist and quite a pioneer, or Dinah Shore, who, um, you know, basically stuck her foot in the door doing her TV show and telling, telling advertisers if they weren't going to allow Nat King Cole to be on her talk show, she wasn't going to do a talk show. And so there were some, and then Lucille Ball, some really great stories of the women we know and those are important stories. Then there is everything that's going on right now and sports. Do you remember sports night? Sports I do. Night. I do. And there's a, there's a tremendous theme, a thread in there where, you know, you had that great relationship between Natalie and Dana. Mm -hmm. And and it was such a short-lived series and it was so good and it was so powerful. And Natalie basically is kind of, she knows she's walking into a situation where she's she could in fact be sexually assaulted in order to get an interview, you know, that, that the, the football player is going to totally hit on her. And will she do that in order to get the interview? Because that would boost their ratings and all of this. Some really important conversations that were had now, Trina, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, this was the subject matter on TV. And here we are 20 years later, and women sports reporters are still facing that kind of animosity. And that's just not right. I mean, that's amazing that, yeah, that what you're saying is this was 20 years ago on TV, but <laughs> but now here we are 20 years later and we are living it out. I mean, right. 
yeah, sportscasters, the the Me Too movement, the harassment by male powerful producers and the things that they're doing to women, all women. It's just you can't believe that in this day and age that we're seeing this when there were shows about this in the 70s and 80s. Yes. So so there's there's sort of two sides to what it is that I'm trying to bring forward in a very focused fashion now. One is the subject matter and the content of some of the best best shows we ever saw and the backstory of what was going on because that sexism and the ageism and and the lack of power needs to get shared so that people to, women today, men today even understand that it wasn't just that women arbitrarily decided to leave the profession, you know, the entertainment business because they were bored or they wanted to spend more time with family. They were basically, you know, shunted. And so there's that side. And then there's the other side, which is just celebrating incredible work that does not get talked about because women don't talk about women like men love to talk about men. Oh, you know what? You are (laughs) preaching to the choir because I have been saying this for the last few episodes that I have done that I want to use my voice to collaborate with other women and to help women get their voice out because we don't. Men, they will network with each other and they will pass each other a a lead or a tip, but women don't do that. And for some reason, I think some women have in their mind that if you make a step, that makes me go a step backwards. And it's not a competition. Right. And it, it is not a zero sum, sum game. No, correct. no, there's there's room for everyone and we can each lend each other a hand to help us all make it forward. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be, well, OK, you're there and I can't get there. So tell me about some of the the stories, backstories of some of these amazing women that you have profile that our listeners can can use and take some some gems from. Mm. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Oh gosh. I am going to you know, I'm going to jump into what I'm working on right now. So I shifted the show from a standard sort of 35-45 minute episode produced every other week to now I'm doing series because I wanted to go a little bit more in depth to do five episodes around a given topic. And so this first series out of the block that's going to get published um, and available on February 1st, January 31st, something like that, is about the Judy Garland show from 1963 and 64, which, you know what, if you never saw it, don't be, don't feel sad because it, it really was, it was a one season show and it was relegated. But um, this it, it was a tremendous, a tremendous look at a woman who, yes, had addiction and and it was a well-known addiction. And it goes all the way back to when she was a child star in Hollywood, that Hollywood was, you know, MGM was the one that got her addicted to the pills that it was requiring of her to keep a schedule that it was almost inhuman. But she had this incredible talent and she was world renowned and she was back on her game. She gets a series at CBS with a pretty lucrative contract. And when you read enough and you read enough, but all of this writing is by men. All of these documentaries are produced by men. All of the, the, the plays written about Judy's last hard months are, are screen written by men or play written by men. And I found a woman here in Chicago who is now bringing the Judy story and the, the 60s Judy story to, to the stage. Angela and I sat down. We talked about this stuff. We talked about addiction. We talked about how it is that she did everything she possibly could that she thought she could do. And yet there were still men who wanted to, to take that from her, but she gave it so much. And some of that is available on YouTube and it's available on a DVD. And this is truly an American, a a treasure. And it's an understanding of what one woman's character can be, even through really some of the hardest times of addiction. And so I, I, in my podcast, you know what? We do have to talk about addiction. We do have to talk about harassment. We do have to talk about even the changing voice of feminism because the other thing that women don't do really well is that uh, young feminists really you know, take umbrage with the performance of past feminists mm-hmm. and back and forth. And we all have to get on the same page and say, it's not about the past. It's about the future. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So who are some, and you're going through and you're saying how you're, you've gotten into the Julie Garland, Garland story. Mm-hmm. What, who are some other women that you have, that have just blown you away once you started researching and doing your podcast on them? Um, De- so Debbie Allen, absolutely. And, and for two reasons, number one, she came out, she, she went from being a bit part on good times to, uh, becoming this force in the movie fame. Mm-hmm. So I loved, oh, I, I can't tell you how many times I saw fame and Debbie Allen was this standout, this breakout character. She took it over to the TV, you know, so it was a TV show for a couple of years and it was a very popular TV show with teenagers. And I don't know if I was in my early twenties at that point, but it was still good. And then she kind of, you know, she kind of recedes for a little bit. Then she resurrects herself in the Cosby empire and goes on to totally turn around a different world. And, and it's that whole story of her work on a different world that really reminds you that when it's a woman storyteller and when it's, the, when it's a person who is so attached to the story as she was to being a student at a historically black college, the story just takes on a life and an energy of its own and becomes so real and so poignant. And I love telling that story. And I had the, the very honor, uh, very great honor of interviewing a professor up at the University of Michigan who teaches about what Debbie Allen did and has written about what Debbie Allen did for a different world. Wow, that's amazing because I remember watching Fame with her in it. I remember her being on Good Times. Uh, I loved A Different World because I went to a historically black university, but I don't think I ever knew the backstory and how she was such a force behind different world. I think I always just thought of it as the Cosby spinoff, but I never knew that Debbie Allen was the one who basically did it. Mm-hmm. The first season was pr- uh, produced by Ann Bates, who had been in charge of Square Pegs. And before that, she had been a writer at Saturday Night Live. And I have a feeling that Ann Bates has gotten more guff and um, not enough credit for all of her talent. And she's somebody I would like to interview at some point. But she took that first season and she's a white woman. So she took that first season of A Different World and kind of it was like it would be like me trying to create a story of what that would have been like. Whereas Debbie Allen attended Howard University. Mm-hmm. So the, um, the ratings were really kind of midland. And there was a sense even of the Cosby people of, well, hmm, what should we do? And at that point in time, um, you know, there was just some co- good conversations, obviously, Felicia Rashad and Debbie Allen are sisters. And so she had this opportunity to present her ideas about what, what would represent a turnaround. And they proved to be golden. Amazing. So out of all of these great women, who were your favorites of the shows that you watched? Um, well, I'll, I'll put it this way. There are still interviews that I want to do. Um, and I have held off on doing profiles or really discussing them in depth on podcasts because I, I want that interview. Okay. I, want to, I want to talk to Lindsay Wagner about Bionic Woman oh. because I know that she did an awful lot within her contract to ensure that there was a minimal amount of violence, a maximum amount of, of peaceful conflict resolution, and, and really the kind of intelligent woman that she represented. I, ju- I just think the world needs more Lindsay Wagner. I do want to talk to Sharon Glass at some point or Tyne Daly about Cagney and Lacey because I think that there are some great stories. I did have a chance to interview the woman who produced the episode where Cagney and Lacey went from having their conversations in a locker room environment into the bathroom. So April Smith, who I interviewed a couple of years ago, was the person who said, you know what, they need to have their conversations where women have conversations in the bathroom. And so the bathroom got built for Cagney and Lacey. And that's exciting. It's a lot of fun. Um, I, I, I want to get to California to talk to Rona Barrett, who, you know, who, who created all those movie magazines all those years ago and was such a, a force. And, and I, and I want to ask her questions about what, what it was like and how she sees changes. So 
those are sort of some of my big check check the box activities that I want to do. And I just want to keep raising the profile and having more interactions with, with organizations like the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media and anybody else who will have me, like like Trina Talks. <laughs> so in your research, and have you found out why it is that these women did such great things, like you said, sticking up for someone to be on their show or sticking up for not having violence. But we don't hear about that. But then if a man does something, it's like groundbreaking. Do, why is that? Well, it um, it kind of goes to who's doing the reporting. And who's doing the reporting? You know, when you think of it from the Today Show perspective, it was always Matt Lauer. Um, and as long as it ultimately had to get has to get written for a man to say it, it's more likely going to be written by a man. So the writers' rooms up until Mary Tyler Moore show, the writers' rooms were almost historically all men. Perhaps there was a pair of comedy writers, like on the Dick Van Dyke show or something, where one was a woman, but certainly not the number that the Mary Tyler Moore show brought forward. So just in terms of the how the show was constructed, the crew the likelihood that there were many women on the backside were rather small. Then you had the women who were at that point considered the stars or maybe the co-stars who were functioning at a, I don't want to be seen as being difficult to work with. So I guess I'll just take the contract that they offer me, even though we know now, even last year or on the crown from Netflix, that, that the two stars are making unequal amounts of money or on, oh my gosh, don't get me going, Netflix, it's actually Netflix is a theme here, Grace and Frankie, so Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin did not know that Martin Sheen and, 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 oh my gosh, I always forget his name. Um, okay, the, the two male co-stars were getting the same salary as Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. Okay. But wait a second. The show's about these women. It's not so much about the men, right? Right. But they were all making the same amount of money. And if Jane Fonda doesn't know that that's going on, then it's like, holy mackerel. This is a taller mountain than anybody knew. Wow. And if I can can just tell you one more story. So the other other very cool thing is is that Diana Ross is turning 75 uh, in March. Diana Ross in 1983 basically wrote a big check Showtime was just getting going on cable TV and they were putting up all of these concerts in Central Park. And I, and I do believe that Diana had to basically fund the backside of the production. But Diana put on a concert for something like 700,000 people in, in Central Park in July of 1983. And it was a hot, sticky, you know, New York afternoon. And, and it's a, it was a very peaceful audience. This can all be seen on DVD. It started raining and raining and pouring and, and the whole, I I do a podcast about this. It's my most energetic episode that I've ever done because I feel so passionately that Diana's experience as a Supreme, Diana's experience as a black woman and her connection to the audience absolutely ensured that in the end, everybody left peacefully. Nobody, there was no violence. There was nothing to worry about. She had this strong connection. Everyone was able to leave Central Park. And she came back the next night and did a concert all over again. It's just this extraordinary experience, which she is now actually starting to realize the world needs to know again. So I love Diana Ross. Wow. That's amazing how these women are such forces. Yeah. And there were no lawyers. She didn't have a headset at all. So she is up there literally with her microphone, making sure it doesn't land in the water. They are turning out lights. They are turning out all the electric as much as they can. They're taking all the musicians offline except for like two. And when when somebody is telling her what she needs to know, she has to walk over to the side. You see this. She's walking over to the side and getting instruction. And then she basically was looking at some of these people and shaking her head saying no. And it's like, oh my God, this is, this is awesome. She is totally in charge. Wow. And, and, and without, you know, I think to myself, well, was Beyonce, well, was Beyonce born at that time? But Probably did, not. She ever, did she ever see this? You know, did Whitney see this? Of course, Whitney saw that. Of course she did. Wow. I mean, this, and, 
I'm sorry. Go right ahead. No, no, no. You go because you've got all the reaction right now. No, I'm just I'm amazed. I'm just sitting here and just I'm in. I'm just yeah, I'm I'm bewildered right now. Well, and in 1983 and a lot of what I do in the podcast is I put things into context of the civil rights movement of the women's movement and the women's movement, you know, of the late sixties, shall we say, which has to do with the baby boom is also influenced by title nine, which was actually an administrative regulation of the Nixon administration. Some mostly I say it's the only good thing that came out of the Nixon administration (laughs) and also the ERA, because when the ERA finally was approved, you know, was signed off in Congress to then go to the States for ratification that set off, in a sense, a 10-year period of time. And, you know, it's sort of like somebody said, and go. And so for 10 years, there was a bit of an orchestrated effort for women to move it forward, for Title IX to be seen in, in tennis stars like Billie Jean King and Chris Everett. And, and would Venus and Serena be here if they hadn't been able to watch all of this great tennis through the 80s and the 90s? And so those are really important. But then For instance, Diana and MTV and the role that MTV didn't play for so many women entertainers, for so many women performers, because it was so, it became so political so quickly. It became so corporate so quickly. And, and I did a whole episode on the women, the women of early MTV and the fact that you can't find them. They are totally off the grid. And yet here are these incredibly talented video producers who just got the bums rush because it was such a toxic masculine environment of rock and roll, which goes on today. Man. Yeah. This is, this is just all just, it's got my mind racing because I'm remembering the things that you're saying and, and looking at the shows or whatever and knowing the people. And these are just stories that you don't hear about. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're so far removed from anyone ever telling them or going into a quote unquote history book that no one knows. I mean, you, you hear about how um, let's just talk about MTV, how Michael Jackson's uh, I think it was Billie Jean video or whatever was the one that kind of made MTV just go crazy. But you don't hear about these other things. Well, and that was. Um, gosh, was it CBS, CBS and Sony or somebody who basically told MTV if they didn't put Michael Jackson on because Michael, because MTV didn't want to air Michael Jackson, that they were going to be, they were going to pull their entire book of any performer of anybody on their, under their contract was never going to be on MTV. And that was a, it was an incredible showdown. I sort of remember the headlines, but you're right. I mean, we don't, we we maybe remember the headlines. I know I remembered Diana Ross being in Central Park. I didn't think anything of it at the time. Now here I am, middle age, kind of feeling like what happened to the movement? What happened to that that burst of energy that seemed to be all about women? And what do we need to learn from it? And so I I feel it's important. I've got I've got privilege. I know I've got privilege and I've got a voice and I know how to cook audio. So I'm just going to keep churning this stuff out and I don't have any advertisers. So nobody controls what it is that I say. So what do you think did happen? And do you think it's somewhere that a place where we can get back to? I definitely think that there's momentum and I am thrilled that the millennials and a good chunk of Generation X, they are so incensed that this is what they've been presented, that that Harvey Weinstein is no longer acceptable, that Matt Lauer is no longer, it, this stuff has to come up. These men have to be removed from their positions of power. And lo and behold, what we're finding is they get replaced by women in the, to those positions of power. And that's exciting. Now, once those women are in there, they need to remind themselves what brought them. And as hard as it is for them to be the only woman in the room, because that also is a bit of a pattern is, you know, going all the way back to the other days of Hollywood, Joan Crawford would be the only woman in the room. It's awfully hard to hold your own. So as, as quickly as we can and as supportive as we can be, social media should keep this tide, you know, turning in our way. 
Time's Up and Me Too. And, uh, you know, the women's sports reporters, there's a hashtag that comes up. It seems like every tennis season when, or soccer season when women get harassed on live TV. You know, these reporters mm-hmm. are just doing their job. And the hashtag is let her work. Wow. Hashtag let her work. Isn't that sad? It's very sad. And and you're speaking. And the first thing that came to my mind was a few months ago when they were talking about Serena and how she had to stop and, and tell the, I forget what they're called, but umpire basically of yes. the match that what he was saying was unfair. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was taking a stand because basically he called her a cheater, I believe. And mm-hmm. she was like, I would never cheat. This is my profession. And how dare you say that? And then he penalized her. And then all of the stories and how the whole thing was reported was it was all reported by men. Because, of course, how many women sports reporters are there at this point in those elite in those elite matches? Very few. They're doing a little bit of color, but they aren't doing the reporting that then ends up getting, you know, um, spread out on in print and radio and and uh, TV recaps. And, you know, it's I'm glad that we have a Serena Williams who is speaking up for herself. I'm glad we have a Beyonce that has a crew of female background dancers and and musicians and things like that that travel with her. But do you think we're going to get to a point where the hash me too movement and all these other movements that are hot right now, do you think it's going to get to a point where we forget and then things go back to eh, whatever? Um, I don't, I think, I think we are in a whole new place, Trina. I, I think so. And I don't think we're going to recede because the power structures are coming down in enough different industries and the profile and the the daylight is coming to everything from you know Michigan State gymnastics to the to what what has gone on at CBS with Linda Bloodworth Thomason and and how careers are just getting they're getting skewered before they even get off the ground or men are just absolutely bullying in all of these places and social media has removed so many filters social media brings it out instantly. Mm. And so now, whether it's, um, I guess, two things. Number one is social media. And number two is that as every woman comes forward to make this point, and a few of them are holding the ground, you know, the, the, the Gina Davises and the Serenas and, um, uh, oh, from <laughs> Ashley Judd, mm-hmm. all, all, you know, from the Harvey Weinstein crowd. For every one of them that stands out there and they stand out there like Diana Ross in the rain, literally, and they're standing there and they're going to keep standing there, then the other women will start to come forward. Because I think the most important thing that has to happen is that women who we still respect today, but have held their peace, that have not said what happened to them, that have not reported what they saw, they are still complicit. And until they feel the sense of confidence that they can come forward and it won't come back to harm them. It's not going to, it's not going to shortchange their career. And that in the end, that's the right thing to do. Then that is the big wave. And that I just have to believe that that is thousands of stories across all sorts of industries. So, and and I know you can't predict the future, but I just kind of want to get your opinion. So what do you think about, okay, we had the Matt Lauer thing. Mm-hmm. And then a few months ago, we got the the Megyn Kelly thing. And I'm thinking how disappointed I was of her when she had a platform that could have been used to further for women, but she chose to do what she did. What do you think about things like that? Um, so, you know, Ma- Megyn Kelly ended up on CBS made a decision to bring her on. And it probably was not. And the thing was, you know, the other part is that in bringing her on, they took out what Joy Reid and somebody else. They took out two women of color. Mm -hmm. And so that immediately was sort of like, guys, what are you trying to do here? Can somebody please share with us what the end game is? Because do you understand that Megyn Kelly's perceived as a bit of a divisive Mm -hmm. white woman? 
Mm-hmm. And so there was a bit of a tone deaf aspect. And she walked away with $69 million. Mm-hmm. Gretchen Carlson basically, you know, threw a bunch of gasoline on Fox, lit the match and took them to court. And she walked away with millions of dollars. And she is being a bit more judicious about her career and what it is that she wants to do. That would be another fun one. She's actually from Minnesota. She, and both of them are very bright women, technically, um, and how they're choosing to either use their voice or are they choosing to not use their voice because they're so concerned about the future of their careers. And at some point in time, you just have to say, wait a second, you've got millions of dollars in the bank. Really? Really? You, you aren't going to bring your story forward? You aren't going to help other women? Mm-hmm. And, we, and then, you know what, you and I go back to the same old refrain of women don't speak well of other women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I just look for the, I look for the sunshine. I look for the good story. I look for the woman who has just absolutely poured her heart into what she's doing and is speaking truth to power, or I will speak truth to power for her. Wow. And I'm right there with you. Cause I feel the same way. Mm. I feel the same way. And I think you and I, I think we can get, continue on with this for, <laughs> for a long time. Uh, and, and, you know, we could, you know, in the future, let's, let's grab a story or two and let's go a little bit more in depth because I would love to have some of what I talk about in a little bit more of a discourse fashion, because there is perspective that I don't have from my upbringing. You, you, you said you grew up in Chicago. I grew up in Minnesota, very different places, even though they're from the Midwest and what you saw and what I saw together, I think we'd come up with some whole new conclusions and, um, and inspire more women that, you know, now you're in Texas and I'm in Chicago. We still have a lot in common. We have so much. And I would love to do any kind of collaboration with you. And, you know, we, we're going to keep in touch after this. um, Yes, definitely. Oh my goodness. But I want to move on because we've been on this, but you also, you do other things besides the podcast. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. I uh, currently am chair of the National Board of Directors of the Mines Advisory Group, which is a a bit of a fiscal agent for federal funds that get sent overseas to abate landmines and clear former areas of conflict of unexploded devices and mines and booby traps and things like that. And uh, that's been a great, uh, a very rewarding experience to help lead the American side of that and make sure that we're spending government tax dollars wisely and making, making places safer. Um, and I am an adjunct professor at Minnesota State Mankato, which is also my alma mater. And that's where I taught leadership in a four-year undergrad environment. Uh, what else? And I'm a public relations consultant. Hmm, okay. And a mom. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you sound like me. You have your plate full. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So what are some other things as far as leadership that you can give to the listeners, um, whether it be career growth or just maybe they're looking to just change their life and be more confident? Do you have any any actionable items for them? Well, you know, the the first thing I would say is in most cases, not just follow your gut, but I think, and and my, I, Trina, I'm guessing you and I are pretty close to being the same age, but there was a, a slice of the baby boom and even the, the older Gen Xers. And we didn't, we were never really brought up to think that what we were going to do in our lives was intended to make us happy. We, we were told we needed to go out and get a job and be grateful for that job. And so the search for happiness kind of continues. And, and yet your seven-year-old self is probably the best person who's going to help you understand what really would make you happy. And so I think about my seven-year-old self or my eight-year-old self, and that's somebody who watched a lot of TV with very wide eyes because that was my window to the world. and. So there's that sense of you can't know yourself enough. And then the other thing I guess I would say is don't 
don't sell yourself short like men would like you to sell yourself short because we've been doing that a long time. You don't need to be the smartest person in the room. But if you are, that's all the more reason why you should absolutely hold your own and stick to your guns. Um, but don't be afraid to ask for anything. Because in my, in my past, I was a political consultant. And women uh, who are running for office have a very difficult time raising money. And, and it's because it seems foreign. And, and I would say, well, why, why are you having a hard time? You know, you send a letter to the people on your holiday card list. Well, but I, I just feel like I'm asking, I'm like, you're asking for them to help you become a public servant. You know, if it's a, if it's a professional thing and you're asking somebody to either do their job or to grow into a new position or whatever, this is business. This isn't personal. This isn't high school. <laughs> this is business. And the goal of the business or the goal of the organization should be pretty clear. The mission is pretty clear. People have worked really hard on all that. So what you're asking people to do is not a, a favor for you personally. It's for them to step in to become a key contributor to some larger calling. And 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 you're and you're going to say please, and you're going to give them a lot of credit when they do it right and well. So that that's I, I think that that's just something we need to grow into better because there are just too many women who are afraid to ask. And again, that's something that men don't have an issue with. Right. Right. Okay. Um, before we go on, did, did you have questions for me, or did we cover them? Well, my, my traditional question, if you were on my show, which you will be, um, is think back to your seven or eight or nine-year-old self, Trina, and what were some shows that you watched that you ultimately kind of saw yourself in? And of course, we can, our, uh, that self isn't necessarily the physical, um, identical physical self, but that you, that stick with you today, that, that you know definitely changed your impression. Okay. So as we were, as you were speaking and you were naming all of these great shows, I remember watching most of them. Cause like I said, I used to watch a lot of TV, <laughs> but my number one was facts of life because I always thought that I could be sent to a boarding school and Tootie would be my best friend. And little did I know that boarding school calls money, which we didn't have. And my mother thought I was crazy. So she would tell me to go be quiet and go sit down somewhere. So <laughs> facts of life, different world. And I love the Oprah show because she came to Chicago and I was from Chicago and growing up in Chicago at that time. So it was great to see a show of that magnitude being filmed right there in the city. And she was so fresh and so different. And, and that's, I think, the other lesson that we need to remind ourselves is that right now, the, the world has been starved for so long of the women's voice, of women writers, of storytelling from a, women's, a woman's point of view, that fresh is in. And, um, and we just need to support each other. We need to go go to opening night of Hidden Figures or opening weekend of Wonder Woman. We need to make sure that we are supporting in every way we can. Writing comments saying, what a great movie that was. Absolutely. Speak up. It's time for us to speak up and get some momentum going. Because when Oprah had that opportunity to go first in Chicago, and it was just local Chicago TV, and then all of a sudden a bunch of people, because there's a whole podcast about the making of Oprah, Everybody's like, oh my gosh, she's just, we've never seen anybody like her. And she speaks so, so passionately and from the heart and all this. And somebody realized that that was something that America hadn't had yet. So it's a great time of great opportunity, Trina. Oh, and hopefully I can be a voice, maybe a fraction of what Oprah did. And Oprah, we all know she's on a planet by herself. So, <laughs> but, but she is, and, and I think the, the leadership, if, if you want to get in, you and I could do some more research on this is the kind of work that she's doing, how she's giving, you know, how she's seeding projects, how she's funding, you know, productions and continuing on with her own cable network. 
her influence has only spread more so. So that's that's the role model that I think we need to speak positively about rather than wondering, hmm, what's Megyn Kelly or what what's Gretchen Carlson? What are they going to do with their money? Let's hope that they are taking a good long look at how they can, in fact, become an influencer more like Oprah. Exactly. And Oprah does, she she does some amazing things. And, and those are the things that are near and dear to her heart. And she doesn't do it for the praise or the accolades is something that she does because she's passionate about it. And that's where I think many people respect her because she's not doing it to say, Oh, look at me. I'm Oprah. And I did this. She's doing it because it's a part of her heart and what she is really genuinely want to support. Mm -hmm. And because at this point in time, she's made all the money she'll ever need. So she can take risk. Exactly. And with and without Oprah at this point, would we have Ava DuVernay? Without Oprah, would we even have Shonda? We don't, I just don't think so. I think she was that powerful a model for so many women who we've seen and have yet to see. I agree. I I, I totally agree because without Oprah, who would have ever thought? Um, who's going to be the next woman to own a network? We don't know. But I believe someone is going to try it because Oprah did it. Mm-hmm. So let me transition to how we're winding down. So I have 10 questions that I ask of every guest. And they're just questions about you and off the cuff, whatever, nothing too serious. So are you ready? Ready. Okay. Who or what? motivates you? Getting up every morning and making the most of every day. Like I don't stop moving. I don't stop thinking. Hmm. What demotivates you? People who aren't trying their hardest um, or who are just sort of taking advantage of others or their own situation. Okay. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked for your good? Hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I moved from Minnesota because there was just a real lack of opportunity to do what it was that I felt I needed and wanted to do. And that was improve, improve the situations of others and, and use my leadership skills in ways that steer us into the future. And, um, and there just wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of that going on in Minnesota in my network. And so my husband and I came here to Chicago sort of on a, um, you know, we, we, we took some risk because we don't really have a network of people here, but we came here and it's been a lot of great energy, a lot of fun projects that I'm getting involved in. And the podcast now has become my, um, my passion. Okay. What is your fear? My fear would be that it's something happens that I am not able to fulfill my destiny to be this voice of storytelling of TV women. Okay. Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Hmm. Uh, I, it, this is a very personal one. My father passed away in 1985 and I was uh, still in, co- uh, I had just graduated from college, but he had a stroke while I was in college. And I think my regret there is just not having had a more mature and focused relationship with him where I was able to get more, more guidance, more wisdom, just more time. Okay. Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? Hmm. Not. I kind of feel like most of the things that I've done have all borne out. Um, I, uh, no, I'm, I'm feel, gosh, I feel pretty good about most of my decisions. Okay. I'm, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) What is your definition of success? 
you know, I guess some of it is going to bed every night without regrets and remorse. Um, I think of success as sort of tied to uh, people in my circle being well, physically well, and feeling good about themselves and feeling like they're on the right path and that, that they can look to me as having supported them in some way. So my definition of success is probably linked to an innate sense that I am helping others. Okay. If it's, if it's measurable, you know, that's great. And if it's immeasurable, then, um, then I'm kind of going partly on the, uh, it's karma. <laughs> Okay. How do you recharge? Um, that's a great question. I, uh, so I'm a redhead and uh, I can go out into the sun for about 10 minutes and then I have to come in. But 10 minutes is about all my body needs to get that, that, that rapid dose of vitamin D. And I find that walking and sort of getting exercise, getting out and seeing Nature is a huge, that, that's a day changer for me. So if it's water, if it's green, if it's, a, if it's a, a forest or a golf course, I'm there. Okay. What are you awesome at? All of this TV trivia stuff, um, you know, and, and, and bringing meaning to it. And, I, and I'm not trying to be arrogant. Um, and as women, of course, we always think that once a woman starts bragging about herself, my gosh, she's got a head, doesn't she? But I have met very few people who look and who have that, that vast depth of knowledge. And Trina, you're going you're gonna to hang up from this call and you're going to start thinking about all this and they're gonna, you're going to start to connect dots. And that's very exciting. And then we can really have some fresh conversation that has never been had before anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I am just this person continuing to search for people like me who are women who want to connect these dots and make greater meaning out of whatever TV show, whatever episode you happen to, you're just going to think about. And all of a sudden, there's going to be this whole fresh lesson. And then we are going to have this tremendous sense of urgency to share that lesson because, first of all, it's publicly known. Lots of other women saw it, too. So there's already a point of reference. And now let's help us become better women and more supportive women. And let's, let's make the world a better place. Okay. To quote Diana Ross. Yes. And the last one is, what legacy do you want to leave? You know, I think it's, um, I think it does have to do with telling these stories I don't know where the podcast is going to go. I want to do more, uh, make more available on my website, tbherstory.com. But um, I, I want it to be that at some point in time, I was doing this for a long enough period of time that either others took the whole concept and brought it to a higher level, brought it to a much wider audience. And that, that would be enough for me um, because I just feel strongly more in the cause than I do in, in, uh, somehow controlling it. Hmm. Okay. So here's something for you. That we, we're done with the questions, but here's something okay. for you just for you to think about. So my 10 questions, I kind of, I used to watch Inside the Actor's Studio with James Lipton. You remember that? Yes. yes. And how he would ask the guests at every, after every show, these set of questions. So that was like my favorite part of the show, him asking the guests these questions. So that's kind of how I dis- designed doing this these questions mm-hmm. for all of my guests. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that there's a woman behind that show. <laughs> I would think so. And, and those are, those are very good questions as well, though, not just for people who are on podcasts, but for us to have in our mind, as we are going about our life plan, as we're making our new year's resolutions, um, we are, we are very busy women and our plates are only so large and you don't know what's going to come around the corner that then gets added to your plate that creates a crisis. And so the better you can really sort of manage what you have to do with what you want to do and make sure that it's somehow fulfilling some of what you think your mission is, what your, what your legacy should be, even if it's a very personal family kind of thing, um, it's good to keep asking yourself those questions and deciding, are there things that you're doing that really you could say no to? 
Um, or conversely, are there things you should be asking others to do that you don't because you have in your in your mind that you're asking them for a favor when in fact you're just asking them, you know, help uh, help the organization or, or help the family or whatever. You know what? You have just amazed me because that's the reason why I came up with these specific questions is was kind of my questions to myself. And I said, you know, I want to ask other women this to ask and see what they say, because I am so in tune to trying to fulfill my destiny and in my purpose. And I often daily take stock and ask myself these questions. Okay, what, what, what motivates me? What, and some days it's different, but most of the days it's the same thing. And I just thought that they were, inter- they were interesting to me. So that's why I incorporated them in the show. Well, and, and, and that listeners can understand that to ask yourself the question, and, and here's, the perfect, here's the perfect thing. You have signed up to go to a big event. It's a networking event, or you're going to sit at a table that's, you know, a table of 10 and you hardly know anybody and, and you don't, you know, you, you're just there. And you, if you are dreading that because you think you're an introvert after all, but no, sometimes you actually have fun at these things. You have to ask yourself, well, why, why are you going? And then even if that, why are you going is because two of the people who are at that table of 10 really mean a lot to you. Then you develop a little plan while you're driving there with your hair looking great and your makeup just, you know, spot on. And you develop the plan that those people who mean the most to you, you're going to hook up with them and you're going to come up with a, what do we need to, why are we here? Let's figure out who we need to connect with. And then you kind of make almost a game of it. And you just really decide what, what opportunity this large event creates that is broken down into much smaller tasks and introductions so that you don't just get overwhelmed and end up standing off in the corner and wasting a great opportunity to meet new people. Hmm. Wow. You have given us so many gems, but here's my other question. What is the one motivational takeaway that you want to leave the listeners with? Support other women. And I hope they will support you. Okay. We are in this together. And, and uh, I, you know, Trina reached out in a, on a Facebook group and said, I do this. And does anybody have any interest in coming on my show? And she and I connected, you know, we, you and I connected offline. And you have, you have helped me. I will help you. And I will support you in retweeting and posting this show on Facebook and doing everything I can to help you reach more audiences and perhaps reach some of mine because we're, we're kind of saying the same thing, but we're also kind of saying it in a very different ways. And that's what makes it a much richer conversation. Exactly. So tell the listeners where they can connect with you, all of your social media platforms. Sure. Uh, most prevalent on Twitter, and I'm at TV Herstory. Uh, our, our website is tvherstory.com. On Instagram, it's Advanced TV Herstory. And our email is advancedtvherstory at gmail.com. Okay. Well, Cynthia, this has been amazing. Like I said, we can talk forever. We're, we're look like we're like in sync here on the same page (laughs) and we're definitely, we're going to stay in contact and we're going to collaborate on something coming in the future because I as well doing this and doing the interviews, I wanted to build my network of like-minded women and definitely you have been added to the Rolodex. So I want to say thank you for taking time out today. Well, thank you. And yeah, we do have some good resources to share on the backside. So Trina, this is just the start of something wonderful. Well, thank you. If you're looking for a speaker for your live event or conference, go to my website and read my bio and contact me at bit.ly forward slash book Trina. I hope you have a great week. Until then, remember, if you change your mindset, you'll change your life. Keep striving. Success is a journey, not a destination. You can listen to Trina Talk anytime and anywhere. It's available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and all other places that you can listen to podcasts. 
If you like the podcast, please don't forget to go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you have questions for me or need inspiration on how to go to the next level, tweet me directly at Trina L. Martin.